Imagine tomorrow morning you wake up, you, for whatever reason, check your bank account, and someone very kindly has deposited £86,400 into your account. There's only one stipulation. You can, you're free to spend it as you like, but you've one rule. You must spend that £86,400 in that 24-hour period. You cannot carry any money over to the next day. Whatever money is unspent is left behind and lost forever. Now, I don't want to give you too much hope because I don't think you're going to wake up tomorrow and that's going to be in your account. But if it is, I want you to ring me and let me know because I probably do assure of that. But if you had £86,400 into your account tomorrow, I have no doubt that everybody here would have no problem at all spending that money. What if I were to put it to you this morning that each of us does possess such an account? I'm not speaking about an account that contains money, but something of greater value. Because each of us this morning, we have an account, a bank account of time. And every morning, 86,400 seconds are credited into your account. Every evening, whatever is left, whatever is unused, is lost forever. You're unable to carry yesterday's allotment of time into tomorrow. You can't take it in overdraft. You can't borrow time. You can't take it alone. Every morning, your account is reset. 86,400 seconds, no more, no less. And every night, any unused time is lost. And whatever time you fail to use at your own loss, you can't appeal to get it back. You see, just as it is true this morning that you're in charge of how you spend your money, you're equally in charge this morning of how you spend your time. And it's been said in the past that time is free, but it is priceless. You can't own it, but you can use it. You can't keep it, but you can spend it. And once you've lost it, you can never get it back. I think time is something we often feel we don't have enough of. How often do you and I make the complaint, I wish I had more time to do this. I wish I had more time to do that. And yet we give our time away so easily. I'm sure if we went home this afternoon and we sat down and we tried to figure out and count how much time we've wasted in our lives, it would alarm us. It would shock us how much time we have frivoled away. And yet in Joel chapter 2, the prophet speaks of those in the land of Judah and they'd wasted much time. Many years of their lives they've wasted You see, in past times, this land of Judah, this nation, had been greatly favored by God. You read back through its history, and we read of a people who once professed faith and adoration toward God. Read of people who at times God had been merciful to. He delivered them from danger. A nation where godly kings once reigned, but you know those days were long gone. They'd been replaced by people who were steeped in sin, people steeped in idolatry, wasting their time on unprofitable things. You see, these people here, they'd become indifferent. They'd become desensitized to their sin. And in response to that, God sends a deadly plague of locusts. And he sends this plague of locusts who destroy harvest after harvest in order to bring the people to repentance. See, the very simple application is this, that such events mean that sin has consequences. Our sin has consequences in our lives. Years spent in sin, living in rebellion against God. I want to tell you this morning, it is wasted time. And in Joel chapter 2 and 25, we read of God's grace. He promises here to restore the time. Read the verse with me. He says, and I will restore to you the years that the locust have eaten. 
the canker worm and the caterpillar and the palmer worm, my great army which I sent among you. It's impossible to redeem the time we've wasted. But God here promises restoration for those who come with repentant hearts. And I want us this morning very simply to consider this verse, verse 25, these words. And I want us to consider it under the subject, God's promise to restore lost time. Let us consider together God's promise to restore lost time. And I have three very simple thoughts that I want to leave with you from this verse. The first thing this verse reveals to me is the explanation for wasted time. You read the verse again, there it says, And I will restore to you the years that the locust have eaten. Speaks of the canker worm, the caterpillar, the palmer worm. It's called my great army, which I sent among you. And we find a similar description in the previous chapter, if you turn back to Joel chapter 1. And read with me what he says there in verse 4. It says, That which the palmer worm hath left hath the locust eaten, and that which the locust hath left hath the canker worm eaten, that which the canker worm hath left hath the caterpillar eaten. Joel chapter 1, verse 4, Joel 2.25, we have a similar description. Both verses speak about four supposedly different animals, different creatures. You have here the palmer worm, you have the locust, you have the canker worm, you have the caterpillar. And they're responsible for the devastation in the land, and yet you study the original language, and you will find that it's not four different creatures, but it's actually four stages within the life cycle of one creature. Because the creature in question here is the locust. I want you to notice also something in verse 4 of chapter 1, because you see the organization of those creatures. We read that whatever the palmer worm left along come the locust to eat it, Whatever the locust left behind, the cankerworm ate it. And whatever the cankerworm left, the caterpillar ate it. They were organized. That word eaten here in verse 4, it highlights the devastation caused by the locusts. Properly interpreted as a word that means to devour something. It means to burn it up. It means to consume it. You see, these locusts here, they move with swiftness. They were like a well-drilled army. They destroyed every single thing in their path. And if you look back at Joel chapter 2 and verse 25, and you know something very simple, you, you could even miss it very easily. Because God is the one in command of the locusts here. You notice how that verse ends, it says, My great army, which I sent among you. And yes, the locusts themselves, they were physically responsible for the devastation of that land. And yet God was their commander. God was the one who had commissioned that locust swarm. You read about the locust in Scripture. Very often as a creature associated with the idea of judgment in response to sin. And one very obvious example, and we learn it as children, the book of Exodus chapter 10. You have the ten plagues that are sent to the land of Egypt. Pharaoh would not allow the children of Israel to go, and so God in response sent those ten plagues. You know, the eighth plague was a plague of locusts. And it would be wrong for me to suggest this morning that every locust swarm throughout the world today is as a consequence of sin. I'm not suggesting that today, but here in Joel chapter 2, it was certainly true. Certainly true in Joel's case. You see, the nation's sin, the nation's disobedience had come at a heavy price. Their land had been left barren, desolate, and you know that's what sin does. 
It devastates lives. It destroys lives. It leaves the sinner barren. It leaves them empty. And perhaps there's one here this morning, and I don't know you all personally, but maybe there's one, and such behavior is true of you. One here, and year after year, you've been seeking satisfaction in the things of the world. Satisfaction in the world that can bring you no satisfaction. You're wasting your life to sin. You could be living this morning with an assurance of heaven, but you're wasting it all to sin. A life which will bring you no profit. A life which will only leave you empty. How often do we quote in gospel services those words of Mark chapter 8 and verse 36, and yet they're true. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? I think it's a tragedy. You think of the multitudes today in this world who are staking their whole eternity upon the things of the world. And the world can do nothing to save your soul. The world is no friend to sinners today. Wasting your time, wasting your energy in the wrong things. If I could borrow the words of Joel, they are locust-eating years. They are wasted years because they're going to be no, no profit to you. I want to tell you this morning, only Jesus Christ is able to save your soul today. Your eternal soul, your precious soul, your never-dying soul. And I think particularly of our young people this morning. Young people who have their whole life ahead of them, yet many are wasting their strongest years. Wasting their years of energy, vitality, you might call them their best years. Living in sin, rejecting Jesus Christ, living in a backslidden state. Well, my advice to you, as someone who's been there, do not waste your best years of your life. And I know God is sovereign in his timing of every person's salvation. But don't live a life this morning looking back with regret, as many older people do. Wishing they'd come to faith in Jesus Christ at a younger age. Don't be someone today who has been saved for a long time. Maybe you were saved as a little child. And you look back now with regret at how little you've done for the Lord. I look back at my own life and I'm 31 years of age. I was saved at 25. And I know God's sovereign he had a time for me. That was my time to be saved. Yet I often think about my life I often look back at the many awful things that I've done, how much time I've wasted, and it grieves me. Don't look back and don't live with regret over not taking your opportunities for Christ. You think of these locusts here in this text, and had there only been a few locusts, I don't think there would have been the same level of concern. And I believe people take the same attitude when it comes to their sin. That's just a wee white lie. It's just, just a small sin. A sin here, a sin there, sure, that will not bother anybody. You think of a drunkard or a drug addict today. And for them, it started off as just one or two drinks. How quickly it manifests itself. They thought they were under control of it. How quickly they became out of control. Something more harmful. The drink gets a hold. They become powerless to resist the need for drugs. They become a slave to those things. How many lives, how many families have been ruined by something that started off as harmless? That's how it is with sin, you know. How quickly sin can get a hold of your life if you allow it to. Again, you think of the locusts here, and had they been in the early stages of development, they would have been easier to deal with. You think of the canker worm, it was a young locust. It couldn't fly, it didn't have wings. 
If you have a margin in your Bible, you'll see the canker worms called the hopping locust. But they were allowed to grow. They were allowed to develop into a massive army that became a greater threat. And again, apply that to your sin today. If your sin is not dealt with swiftly, if you don't ask the Lord daily to cleanse you afresh, it's going to mature that sin. It's going to manifest into something of greater devastation. And I think a very powerful example of such a a thought is found in the Word of God. You think of King David. You think of his life. You think back to that time with Bathsheba. And what began as a simply looking upon that woman. As she washed herself on the rooftop, it quickly turned into a desiring to have her. The point where David plotted, David succeeded in having her husband Uriah murdered because he wanted her. How quickly did a simple looking upon her turn into murder? And David lost out with God because of it. He lived in a backslidden state. He was miserable. You read Psalm 51 and you see that. David was miserable. And it wasn't until Nathan the prophet came along there in 2 Samuel chapter 12 that David was restored. Because Nathan there in 2 Samuel 12, he tells the story of a rich man, a poor man. Tells of how a traveler took from the poor man's flock. David was outraged. That man needs to be punished. I can't believe he's doing that. That's not fair. And you know what Nathan said? He says, that's right. That's right, David. But you know what, David? Thou art the man. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about your sin, what you've done. You need to repent of it. And it was only after David heard those words that he did repent. He came back to the Lord. Does that not also teach us this morning the importance of having godly friends? Friends like Nathan. Friends who not out of judgment, but who out of love, who are brave enough to tell and to point out the sin in our lives. Maybe one today and you're like David. Maybe you're not guilty of doing what David had done, but you're losing out with God because of some unrepentant sin in your life. See, every Christian, every believer ought to be bringing forth the fruit of the Spirit. The Bible tells us we are to be growing in the grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore the Lord here is maybe putting his finger on something. Maybe in your life, maybe in my life. And he's telling us that we need to stop living in rebellion against God. Stop wasting our time for God. And you know, I say it, in love to your soul, having been there, it's so easy to grow cold. So easy to get away from the Lord. You know, it very often happens before you realize it. It very often happens whenever you're in the midst of the Lord's work, when you're going on with the Lord, the devil comes in, he tries to snatch it away, he tells you the Lord doesn't love you, and you grow cold. And therefore we must ever be on our guard to ensure that those things don't happen. With that thought in mind, I want us to consider something else this morning. Not only do we see the explanation for wasted time, but secondly we see the extent to which that time is wasted. Look what it says in verse 25. It says, I will restore to you the years. The years that the locust have eaten. And you know, some Bible commentators have suggested that this land of Judah, it was struck with multiple plagues of locusts across one single year. And yet you notice it says years here. It has an S on the end, it's plural. And therefore I'm inclined to think that this was a yearly thing. For many years these locusts have been coming, they've been devastating the land, coming to wreak havoc. Farmer put all the work in, he'd sown the seed, he went to reap, but here come the locusts again. Ready considered the words of Joel 1 and verse 4. Tell us of the devastation, nothing left, but that whole chapter, chapter 1, gives a more detailed description of that devastation. 
In verse 7 of the chapter, the land's described as being clean bare. In verse 10, words such as wasted, dried up, languisheth are used. In verse 11, the harvest fields have perished. Verse 12, the trees are withered away. What a contrast there is in Joel chapter 1 to a land that once was described as flowing with milk, with honey, a land that had the potential for a bountiful harvest. And as you and I look back at our Christian lives this morning, could something similar be said of it? Have you and I lost our zeal, our passion that we once had for the Lord's work? Could our working for the Lord be described in a similar way to what we read in Joel? It's dried up. It's withered away. It's languishing. Maybe your desire to read your Bible has waned. Infrequent in the place of prayer. Daily witness no longer has the same effect on people. Joel says Judah had been barren for years. Oh, not days, not months, but years. And as I sat last week throughout that minister's week of prayer, as I sat through those sessions, the Lord really challenged my own heart about my own service for him. As men preached, as men prayed, I had to ask myself some questions. How much time did I waste in 2022? Did I actually accomplish anything at all last year for the Lord? Was there a work done? Could I have done more for the Lord than I did? And what am I going to do in 2023 to change that? And as we think about these things, I want to throw that challenge out to you here in the Martyrs. We begin another year, 2023. I want to ask you and love to your soul, what are you going to do this year for the Lord? How are you going to serve him in your community, in your families, in your church? You see, sadly, there are many Christians and they're content with just being saved. You know, the Lord saved me. I don't need to do anything else. There's a little desire to bear fruit for the Lord. There's even a little desire for God's house. They're doing the bare minimum to get by. It would be right to compare such people to the church there at Laodicea. A people who were neither hot nor cold, they were lukewarm. And how is that church described? How does the Lord view lukewarmness? Well, Revelation chapter 3 and 16, this is what it says. It says, So then, because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. You see, lukewarmness aggrieves the Lord. It tells us here very graphically it makes the Lord sick. And surely lukewarm years, they're wasted years. They're barren years. They're locust-eating years. And again, maybe I'm speaking to one here today. Maybe you're listening at home even. Maybe you've never come to the Lord in repentance and faith. You've spent years, you've spent decades coming to this church. And week after week, you sit under gospel preaching, faithful preaching, and you're not changed. You're not moved. There's no desire in your heart whatsoever to get saved. And you say to the gospel as it's preached that to the minister as he preaches it, thank you, but no thank you. I'm okay, I'm going to do things my way. What will you do with what I've said this morning? Will you continue to waste your years? Will you continue to try to do things your own way? Or will you ask the Lord to save you today? Hosea tells us very powerfully it is time to seek the Lord. And he's talking about right now. It's not tomorrow or next week. It's right now. It is time to seek the Lord at the beginning of 2023. Because I say in love to your soul, don't waste any more of your life living in sin. Any more of your life trusting in the things of the world that will bring you no profit. They'll never save your soul. Only Jesus Christ can do that for you. 
There is here the explanation, there is the extent, but I want to leave with you this morning, thirdly and finally, the encouragement. Because there is the encouragement here regarding the time we've wasted. And we find that at the start of verse 25 in the promise that God gives. Because three words there, he says, I will restore. I will restore the years that the locusts have eaten. How's God going to restore that? Well, Joel isn't suggesting to us that he's going to turn back the clock. He's going to give us the years again because the time lost, it can't be regained. But rather, these words are speaking about what God will do in the future for you and I. He says, I will. You can read it as, I shall. It's a future tense reference to the future. And Joel chapter 2, it's full of the I wills of God. You read your Bible, it's full of the I wills of God. And every time you read it, underline it. Rejoice in your heart that God says, I will do that. In Joel 2 and 18, we read then, well, verses 19 and 20, he says, he says, I will. In verse 22, it says, the Lord will. Verse 25, I will. And herein lies the confidence that Joel had. Despite all that had happened in the land, God was able to do what he said he would do. Just as God here had the power to send the locusts, he had the power to restore all that had been lost by them. Maybe I'm speaking to a parent here, maybe you have children, children far from the Lord in the world, and you're so broken over them. Continue to pray for them because the Lord says, I will restore them if it's his will. Maybe a young person and your your grandparents, maybe even your parents, they're not saved. The Lord says, I will restore You see, God has the power to change a life of sin in but a moment. And often he does it in spite of our unbelief. He says he's going to restore it. That word restore means he'll make amends, he'll make good, he'll recompense. In other words, he'll give back the same in kind. And in the context of the chapter, Joel, he's referring to the multiple harvests that have been lost because of the locusts. And again, let me reiterate, he's not saying he's going to restore those lost harvests, but what he's going to do is something greater. He's going to bring a harvest so bountiful it's going to make up for all of those lost years. And again, this analogy can be brought right through to the Christian today, wasting their life in rebellion because of sin, because he can bring restoration into your life this morning. And how is he going to do that for you? Three very simple thoughts, and I'll close with this. He's going to restore your fruitfulness. You turn over to Amos chapter 9 for a moment, just to the next book there, Amos chapter 9, verse 13. Read what it says, Amos 9, 13. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that the plowman shall overtake the reaper. And the treader of grapes him that soweth seed. And the mountain shall drop sweet wine, and all the hill shall melt. I'm clearly not a farmer, but I can even understand the amazement of that statement. See, such will the restoration be that the reaper here, he won't have finished gathering the previous harvest, but along comes the plowman, and he's going to overtake him. He's going to overtake him. You think of John chapter 15, it's a chapter all about bearing fruit for the Lord. Christ says, I am the vine. But in verse 16 of that chapter, the Christian, you and I are exhorted to bring forth fruit. 
We are to manifest the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, but sin, backsliding, it hinders us. And yet we can be encouraged today because God can restore your fruitfulness. He can make up for your wasted years. What about a restoring of joy this morning? Joel chapter 1, we already have looked in detail. The land was devastated. In verse 12, it tells us that their joy was withered away. Withered away because of sin that was running rampant in the land. And the people had followed after the world in the hope that would bring them some kind of joy. And yet Joel goes on to encourage us. Because in verse 21, the people are exhorted to be glad, to rejoice. Is he any child of God here who finds himself cold of heart, far from the Lord? You will know something of the loss of your joy. Again, David, you think of him, he lost his joy there in Psalm 51. And in verse 12, he cried out to the Lord, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. And God, he did restore David. And I want to tell you, he can do it for you this morning if you've lost your joy. Restoring of fruitfulness, a restoring of joy, but finally a restoring of satisfaction. Joel 2.19 reminds us of this. Yea, the Lord will answer and say unto his people, Behold, I will send you corn and wine and oil, and ye shall be satisfied. Verse 26, the same thing seen. Joel said that people will be satisfied with what the Lord has sent them. Is he true, lasting satisfaction? It's only found in the Lord. Yes, you'll find some satisfaction in the world for a season, but it will be gone again because only the Lord can satisfy. You see, the one who walks closely with God will be satisfied with whatever he gives to us. And yet I want you to notice that whilst God promises to restore the years, he places a condition upon it. Read with me Joel 2 and verses 12 and 13. He says, Therefore also now saith the Lord, Turn ye even to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning, and rend your heart, and not your garments, and turn unto the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful. He is slow to anger of a great kindness, and repenteth him of the evil. There must first be that repentance in your heart. And for the one who is saved and yet walking far away from the Lord, I want to leave with you the familiar words of 1 John 1 verse 9 because he says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful. He is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And yet if there's an unbeliever here this morning, there needs to be that repentance for the first time in your life. There needs to be that trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation for the first time. When you repent of your sins, when you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, those sins, they're removed. You're cleansed, they're forgotten about forever, cast into the sea, cast behind their back as far as the east is from the west. So far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Through repenting of your sin, all that was lost by the fall of man will be restored one day completely. And yet people allow themselves to be convinced, either by their own conscience, either by the devil who gets in, that the sin in their life, it's too great. It's too much for God to save them. 
wasted so much of their lives that God could never use them. So caught up in these things, they forget about the amazing grace of God. You think of what Paul says in Romans 5 and 20, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. You think of what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. It's amazing when you think who wrote these verses, it was Paul. Paul had experienced restoration in his own life. He'd wasted many years there persecuting Christians. And you think back to the Damascus Road experience, Acts chapter 9, and the Lord graciously saved him. You think about Paul's life since that, all that Paul would do for the Lord. And surely you can say today he restored more abundantly than Paul could ever ask or think. Three missionary journeys. Wrote half, maybe more than half of the New Testament, all those epistles. See, God's power, God's grace is sufficient to restore his people to usefulness. And the encouragement that I leave with you today is he can do it for you in this church as well. If you're here and you've gotten away from the Lord, there's restoration for you this morning. And yet if you're here this morning and you've never been saved, I want to tell you there's salvation for you this morning. It's through repentance over your sin. It's through seeking the Lord Jesus Christ in faith. And you can claim that promise this morning. I will restore the years that the locust hath eaten. O Lord, restore those wasted years in my life. Make that your prayer today. Make that your prayer this afternoon as you go home. We started this message with 86,400 seconds each day. How many of you wasted living a life of sin? Don't waste one more second in rebellion to sin. But cry it unto the Lord for restoration. Ask him to even restore you to your first love. And may God write that word upon our hearts for his name's sake.